0: Hey everybody, welcome to Connect in Cannabis, brought to you by Razzle. I'm your host, Brian Haller. Uh, Today, our special guest is CEO of Apothecary Brands, Whitney Beatty. She'll be here to talk to us about her incredible company, her uh, amazing journey, and um, just a lot of great tidbits and tips for all of our audience. Um, But first, of course, uh, I'd love to hear a word from our sponsor. Ohio Energetics has the most advanced water-soluble CBD on the market. Its fast-acting, most viable products are made without synthetics. Most users feel the benefits with proper dosage in under 30 seconds, not 30 minutes like a regular CBD-rich oil. Their products are created using organic ingredients and regenerative farming practices, benefiting both people and the planet. Ohio Energetics provides CBD users with a dependable bridge to optimal living, promoting everyday health and well-being. To see their products, visit OhioEnergetics.com. And to learn more about their current investment opportunity, visit their profile in the Razzle Investment Marketplace at razzle.com. Welcome back to Connecting Cannabis, uh, brought to you by Razzle. Always good to see you. Uh, Let us bring in our guest, Whitney Beatty. Whitney, how are you today?
1: I'm doing great. How are you today?
0: I'm doing fine. Thank you so much for uh, joining me on this uh, very interestingly dreary day here in uh, Southern California.
1: Thank you for having me. It is a little bit depressing outside, but it's a uh, Friday and it's always a good day to be in this business.
0: Absolutely. Um, and speaking of which, let's hop right on in. Um, so um, Apothecary Brands. So tell us kind of the Cliff Notes version of what is Apothecary Brands? Uh, Cliff Notes
1: is, you know, people keep wine in wine fridges, you keep liquor in bars, you keep cigars in humidors, but most people keep their high-end cannabis in a shoebox under their beds, and that just did not make sense to me, and so Apothecary designed sleek and sexy storage and humidity solutions for cannabis
0: connoisseurs. That is excellent, uh, and a very good, uh, basically, elevator pitch, so there you go. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to guess this is your first rodeo, so there you go. (laughs) Um, I talk so, about a lot. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, um, you know, um, uh, and so, of course, you know, in order to start a brand like that, you have to have some sort of passion for, for cannabis, obviously, especially since your brand is so con- focused on the experience for the consumer, right? Um, what, how did kind of your, um, you know, passion for cannabis uh, emerge? Uh,
1: it, that's an odd story, actually, because um, my background was actually that I did not use cannabis when I was growing up. Um, I grew up in the 80s, and Nancy Reagan told me to say no to drugs, and I believed her. I had no idea. Um, yeah, I had two parents who are attorneys, and it just was not something that I used in high school, really. I tried a couple of times in college, um, but what really changed for me is I came out um, to Los Angeles, and I was working in the entertainment industry, and if anyone has any experience in that space, it is a very stressful environment and I was working long days and swing shifts um, and then really um, worked myself to a thread and I was sitting at my desk and I started feeling heart palpitations and I couldn't breathe um, and my arms were weak. And because i did not want to disturb production i got up and i drove from my office to the ucla medical center i parked my car where the ambulance is parked and left it there because hey i'm dying and really do i need the car Um, i shouldn't
0: laugh at that but that was funny
1: (laughs) true oh and i was was. so dramatic I, i sent i'm about to die text out it was a whole thing um and after they did the EKGs and everything, they came in and they're like, you're not having a heart attack. And I'm like, to hell I'm not. And they're like, you're having an anxiety attack. Yeah. And it changed my life instantly because then, um, you know, it was about how am I going to get through this and how are we going to solve this? And they started putting on me on medications and I didn't like any of them. And okay. finally, in an offhand comment, my doctor was like, well, have you looked at cannabis? And I was like, oh, what? You're trying to put me on the drug drugs. <laughs> um, and really kind of <laughs> freaked me out. Yeah. Um, but what it did is it made me do my research and it made me do my homework. Um, And I learned not only about the plant, but why I had negative connotations about the plant. Why was I feeling the way that I was? Um, And I became a big proponent of the plant. Um, And ultimately, I realized as a mother, as someone who had pets and kid, um, I wanted to changed the way in which i was keeping the plant in my house i was that person who had their you know cannabis in a nike box and then you know people came over i would offer them lovely things from the bar or smoke you know cannabis from this box in this plastic bag it just felt compromised um (laughs) not to mention the fact that i'm spending good money on this stuff and i come back and it's crisp and and sad Um, you know how can we fix this and i looked around and i didn't see anything anybody who was making what i wanted um and at the same time, I wanted to make a product that was for the people that I knew, um, who are using uh, the plant. And so I wanted to have the aesthetics that they wanted and the the features that they wanted. And so I decided to sit down and make it. Um, and once I did, I was like, you know, let me go out and see if I'm the only one. And hopefully, five years later, I found out that I am not.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, but you are kind of on the uh, you know you're on the front lines of the people who are kind of trying to do this and. You know, it's a, it makes a lot of sense. Like, I loved your analogy about, you know, hey, you'd have a liquor bar or you'd have a, you know, you have quality kind of ways to display your food and, you know, other, you know, high profile items. You're spending much more on cannabis than you probably are on, you know, alcohol and things like that. Well, why are we using plastic baggies and, you know, ripped up papers and, you know, shoeboxes, Absolutely, right? it feels you know,
1: compromised. That, that it gives you a different feeling when you're doing something in a mindful way and you're doing something in a beautiful way than when you're scrounging around in a, you know, dirty box trying to, to find things. It just, yes. it elevates the situation.
0: Well, it's a fantastic metaphor, in my opinion, for basically demystifying, you know, this kind of negative uh, propaganda, quite frankly, around cannabis, right? Absolutely. You know, uh, it's all about normalizing it, which will combat the um, uh, the propaganda, essentially, mm-hmm. right? And a way to normalize things is we're going to make high-profile like ways to house your your uh, your 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 edibles, your smoke, your uh, tools, your everything, because wouldn't you do that? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, right? And I like that because you know I, I can understand that being a a good business model, and then of course speaking about your history and getting diagnosed with anxiety. That is a very, uh, a fairly common story when it comes to cannabis. Um, I know for a fact that it helps uh, with uh, anxiety. I've seen it happen too many times. Um, I've even uh, used it myself when I've been uh, to the point where it's been anxious and I have been diagnosed by a doctor with it. So I, like you, had the, virtually the same experience. First time I had when I was teaching and it felt like I was going to have a heart attack.
1: It does. It's I had to come get rescued by my vice principal.
0: I'm like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, it's yeah. over. Mm-hmm. No, nope. it's a done. It's a wrap. And that's what it feels like. So for anybody who hasn't actually had an anxiety attack, that's what it feels like. It feels just like a heart attack. You feel like you're losing it. Yep. And you're gonna, you know, go and basically you get the the deep breaths and it keeps magnifying. Anyhow, the point is that you know um, it's a very um, common entry to cannabis. And uh, hearing that story, I think helps a lot of our audience because. You know, it's not just that, you were also inspired to, you know, create this. Uh, around, uh, how long has Apothecary been around?
1: We started in 2015. So this is coming up on five years.
0: That is uh, very interesting. That's a, a ton of time in the cannabis space. <laughs> it's like 30 years in Canada. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> like, and surely you've had 30 years of experience in that five years. I, I, I can almost guarantee that. <laughs> uh, what has it's that been a been, wild uh, ride? Uh, sure. Kind of uh, what was it like? Can you give us a little bit of insight of like how it was when you started versus it is, versus how it is now?
1: I mean, I think it's, it's much different now than it was when I started. Um, you know, I came, I transferred into this area from the um, the entertainment industry. I was. Um, SVP of development, I was developing shows, and I took that brand knowledge um, and demographic knowledge and brought it into this space and into this company. Um, so, and it was funny because one of the first um, hurdles that I run, ran up against, and trust me, as an entrepreneur, you always hit hurdles um, as one in cannabis, they, they're just all over. Yeah. Um, but one of the first hurdles was a lot of people telling me that there was not a high-end brand or a luxury space within the cannabis space. That cannabis was cannabis and it was general and that there was not now, nor would there ever be um, a space
0: for luxury goods. Was that Um, more when you first started that you were hearing that sort of thing? 2015,
1: 2016. That makes
0: sense, I guess, then. Now I'd be shocked if somebody told you that.
1: Exactly. I mean, and look at how quickly that market has changed. I mean, I've gotten, you know, written, you know, emails from investors who told me that I was nuts. Um, and it really took for me to be able to go out and, um, you know, do those initial sales and be able to show that traction, um, to come back and say, no, that this market exists. And now, you know, five years down, it's, it's this, it's no one can believe that, you know, that anyone would even say that with the way that the market, um, has, uh, you know, shaped up. But at that point in time, I really believed and, and I still do that very much like the liquor market. There's a space for a plastic bottle of pop off, just like there's a space for a bottle of Kettle One or a bottle of Grey Goose. Um, that that was gonna be how this uh, industry ended up breaking out. Um, and it is, I mean, there's, you know, you can keep your cannabis in a plastic bag or in a mason jar or an apothecary case. There, uh, you know, this depends on who
0: you are and what your demo it, you know is and, and what you want. True, sure. that makes a lot of sense. Uh, it's interesting because there's also the added like medicinal benefits of, of cannabis too, that make it even more. There's like more niches available to you in cannabis than even in in my opinion, an average industry or just in many, even a commodity based industry, there's more kind of niches for you to carve out. Uh, And even you can diversify your own brand. That part. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Yeah. Um, And so I think that's funny to hear kind of how far things have come. So that was one of the first kind of hurdles You know, that you were, that you recall facing. You know, um, obviously you are a woman and you're a woman of color. So, were there, and and that's few and far between in terms of being a CEO of a company in cannabis. Um, Have you experienced any hurdles with regards to that?
1: I mean, I think that, uh, yeah, obviously. I mean, I've been a Black woman all my life. Um, It's been (laughs) a constant. So, um, you know, some of the things that, you know, I was used to, um, but I think that one of the things uh, that where it sticks out For me, a lot is in fundraising, Um, you know, uh, in the cannabis space, I can't go down to the bank and get a bank loan. Um, You know, they're not giving out that sort of funding to businesses within the space. And so we're, you know, at the place where we need to be able to fundraise from angel investors or from VCs, Um, you know, and those are the main tracks. Well, uh, for people of color, um, you know, the, the numbers have shown that within our you know, circles, we don't have as much access to that capital from within our community. So that means we're going out and we're pitching to the people who are normally angel investors. Angel investors by demographic um, are generally older white men. Yep. Um, and um, traditionally, they would invest in people that reminded them of themselves. Yep. And most people don't see themselves as a black female single mother. I don't know why.
0: That's
1: interesting. Uh, see, see, see yourself in me, um, but,
0: you know, it's funny though, Whitney, you're, you know, you're, you're being funny, but there is some truth to that.
1: Oh, it's, it's absolutely. I'm, and, and I say it in a light hand way, but, right. but it's absolutely the truth. And so that is a hurdle that I had to cross over. I need these people to be able to to relate to me on a real level because in in a very real way, people invest in the person, not necessarily the project. They have to believe that I'm able to do this and that I'm the person, the only person who can get this job done. So I have to be able to cross all those bur- you know, barriers that are just, you know, I'm not one of your good old boys and I also have to make them believe that this is a project worth investing in. And so I had to come harder than, you know, a normal person might have to. I need to make sure I knew my numbers back and forth. I need to make sure that I was relatable and it's hard and you know, but at the same time, you know was I able to do it absolutely, um, but it just makes it more difficult for businesses owned by um, people of color and you know women of color to to go forward on the other side you 've got VCS VCS have given two percent of funding over the last five years to women-led companies. And when you're looking at women of color, you're talking 0.006% of VC dollars going to companies led by black women. Those numbers are abysmal. Um, and especially in a space where it's showing that across the board, female and black-led you know, businesses are doing well. We're you know, doing a lot of business starting and our businesses tend to be more successful. Um, the average black female who's raising money for a business raised $35,000. That's not enough to compete, and it's definitely not enough to compete in the cannabis space.
0: Medicus LP was created after their team discovered that very few avenues existed for investment in professionally managed public equity funds. As a result, they created a long-biased limited partnership, Medicus, for accredited individuals and organizations that will invest in public exchange-traded companies in the cannabis space. Investor net asset values are calculated on a monthly basis by their administrator, Klein Fund Services, and audited annually by Spicer Jeffries. This provides full transparency for investors. Their prime broker is BTIG and custodian is Pershing. Medicus started investing in January 2020. To learn more about Medicus, please visit their website at medicuslp.com. And for more information about their current investment opportunity, please visit the Razzle Investment Marketplace at razzle.com. We have to do better. Yes. Uh, And I think everybody has to do better. You know, Uh, I think everybody involved has to. And, you know, I, I, you know, at Roussel we definitely put a premium on trying to work with as many different types of people as possible to make sure that their businesses have as much audience as anybody can. uh, And that we tidy up them, uh, you know, for what investors are looking for. Right. But Mm -hmm. what you say is also very true. You know, um, not only do you have, it's hard enough to get money, period. Just period. Right. It is. But if you already have these kind of preconceived notions or, this other kind of um, barrier that you have to kind of fight through, it's even harder for people in your position. And um, it doesn't have to be that way. Um, and in fact, there are, as we move forward, there are programs that are at least beginning to address some of this. Um, one of which you're actually actively very involved in uh, your businesses. Excuse me. Um, it's a uh, the social equity program. Uh, explain a little bit more about that.
1: So um, uh, so apart from apothecary, I'm also a social equity applicant um, in Los Angeles. Uh, social equity programs seek to um, uh, basically mitigate um, some of the harms from the war on drugs um, on communities of color. Um, I mean, uh, I guess the short story is community color has been disproportionately disenfranchised by the war on drugs across the board. And now in legalization, we have not had an opportunity to really participate in this new industry. And so these programs have been popping up on a city, municipal level, um, and on a state level in order to help even that playing field and allow people of color to participate in this industry on the licensed side. Um, so, social equity programs only you know apply to those licenses, so in a city like Los Angeles, um, right now they have a social equity program which allows uh, for prioritization for people who have uh, lived in certain zip codes who have certain incomes who have been or who have been um, you know, personally affected by the war on drugs, and it allows uh, those people to apply for uh, licenses in a different way with prioritization. Um, the law in Los Angeles actually says that for every regular license, they have to have two licenses that go to people who
0: are members of the social equity program. See, very interesting. And you know, I think it's a little step-by-step, you know, step, little things like this and you know, I mean, they're definitely going to help and I'm really glad to hear that. Uh, how far along are you in that process?
1: um for the los angeles process it's going to be a while but we are um we have applied we have paid an invoice and so we are waiting for temporary licensing um in los angeles
0: okay um and yeah i mean to your point it's it's all of us kind of having to do all the things that we can do in our power to make sure that uh people are treated fairly that uh that everybody kind of gets a fair shake you know I, that everybody gets a fair absolutely. opportunity right? i mean Nothing, it, If a business model is bad, we'll call a business model bad. No problem. And we don't care who it is. We're going to have to be honest with each other, right? But on the other hand, if there's a lot of good opportunities here. um, You got to make sure that your own kind of um, personal biases or your personal kind of background doesn't um, fog it up a little bit, you know, that it doesn't make you interfere with, you know, what's just right to do.
1: Absolutely. I mean, it's about, you know, being able to challenge implicit and explicit biases that people might have and and real and also look at the opportunity at the end of the day. Um, You know, the opportunity is real. Um, If The person has the skill set to get the job done. um, I think that there was a study that was done last year looking at uh, VCs and you know they, their tendency to keep investing in the same people and the amount of money that they've missed out on by not looking at um, you know women-led companies, not looking uh, uh, at minority-led companies, um, and the amount of losses was in the billions because yeah. you know people are just missing out on those opportunities. Yeah. So that does it becomes important. And the other part of this is you know we are building an industry based on a space that has really done um, a load of of damage um, in regards to the war on drugs. We've got communities that have still not, you know, uh, don't look the same. We've got people who are still in jail on, um, you know, marijuana offenses, um, even in the midst of a COVID crisis. Uh, So it's important, you know, for Uh, for me, at least, to make sure that I acknowledge that that, that that's the the back that we're building this industry on and to do as much as possible to, you know, right those wrongs and to encourage the cities to make sure that they take that into
0: account as they're bringing on legislation. Absolutely, and, you know, I could talk to you about this uh, for a long time. And in fact, I, I would love to have you on and continue to kind of uh, continue this discussion at another time. So hopefully you'll be open to doing that because uh, it's been a pleasure having you on today. And I'm very always excited. you always very excited to talk to you. Um, before we get out of here, let's make sure everybody knows where they're going to find uh, apothecary brands out there.
1: Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, check us out on our website. It's theapothecarycase.com. That's the apothecarry case.com yeah. You can also find us on Facebook and on Instagram as
0: the. Shot Excellent. Um, and uh, yeah, and of course you can find them uh, not only on Razzle, but you'll, uh, if you're watching this, you can uh, look down in the comments or in the uh, description and you'll find uh, Whitney's site as well. Uh, Whitney, thank you so much for being on Connecting Cannabis with me today. I really appreciate it. And I look forward to doing it again soon.
1: Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. You too. Take care.